Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop, where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are finally back. The best podcast in the world is back with a bang. We have a lot to talk about. As you probably know, if you're a sports fan of any kind, NFL football is back. There will be no Sunday until February without NFL football, and I, for one, could not be more excited about that. It has been approximately five weeks, so just over you know a month and a week since I last did an episode for you guys. It feels like fucking forever for me. I've been swamped. I've been busy with work full-time. I started a new job. I'm not even 18 yet, so that's been it's 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 a really dope job. I'm not gonna go into the details, but it's really fucking sick. I've been very busy with that. I have other you know sources of revenue and income coming in. I'm a full time student. You know I'm on a college tennis team. So you know all things considered, I like to still have fun and party. So all things considered, managing all that, we only yes we all have 24 hours in a day, but at the same time it is only 24 hours, and you have to manage your time wisely. You have to set your priorities straight. With that said, the podcast is one of my top priorities in life at the moment, and it will be uh, if all things go well for the foreseeable future. You know, my dream is for this to be my full-time job and to make money off of this and live off of, you know, talking about sports. I know a few people that have been successful in doing so. I believe that I also will be successful in doing so. But at the moment, I'm 17 years old. I'm in a great spot in life, but I'm not there yet. And, you know, things take time. It's one day at a time. But with that said, as always, I'm going to report the biggest news in sports. You know, it's been it's been a hell of a ride. I mean, I've been through all kinds of life experiences. I basically grew up, you guys have basically indirectly seen me grow up, grow up through the podcast. Obviously, it is a podcast and it is only audio. I have been debating making, you know, a video aspect to it where you can see me record and see, you know, my face while I'm discussing sports. Kind of like most podcasts are nowadays. You have like Mike Tyson's podcast, Logan Paul's podcast. They obviously have the audio option, but, you know, overwhelmingly people prefer seeing them in the studio talking, you know, conversing with their guests and co-hosts and things of that nature. So I have been considering that. But the point is, uh, we're back. I'm going to try my, it is technically a daily podcast, Sean Sports Stop, the greatest podcast in the world. Technically it is. I'm going to try my best to maintain that. It's going to be incredibly difficult to do so considering the fact that uh, my last one was five weeks ago, but with that said, let's get right into it. And uncharacteristically, we're going to start off with some WNBA basketball. For those of you that don't know, that's the women's NBA. In addition to securing a very important win over the Washington Mystics, the New York Liberty made history on Friday night. Rebecca Allen connected on, the th- on a three-pointer in the second quarter to give New York the single-season record uh, for threes. Long-range shooting was not a strength of the Liberty in 2020. The team tied for 6th in May 3s at 7.6 a game, but ranked last, dead last in 3-point percentage at only 27.7. Not only have they set the pace in terms of 3-pointers made this year, but they've seen their conversion rate climb to 36%, which is the 3rd best in the WNBA you know, as a whole. Sammy White Whitcomb has had a big hand in that turnaround. The 2-time champion has taken her game to another level with the Liberty while remaining a very potent perimeter threat from deep. She's shooting a career-high 42.3% from beyond the arc, 
And obviously, Sabrina Ionescu is one of the best players in the world, if not the best female basketball player on the planet. She is unbelievable. You know, the, the, the way she was playing college ball at Oregon was, it was frankly unbelievable. And she's doing her thing with the New York Liberty in the WNBA. Having some tech, technical difficulties right now, so bear with me. But we have so much to talk about today. Is it's right, right now it's 9.13 p.m. Pacific time in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Uh, so obviously there was the Monday night football game tonight. Yesterday was football Sunday, college football. You know, we're in the middle of that. The NBA season is coming up very soon. Uh, we're right on the verge of baseball playoffs. So this is the time of year NHL is coming back soon. So this is the time of year where all sports, whether their seasons are beginning or ending, are all kind of converging at the same time. And uh, yeah, with that said, I'm going to transition to some hockey. So we're starting off with some WNBA and some NHL, two leagues that I don't really talk about often and ca- kind of casual sports fans also don't talk about often at all. Veterans Adeno Chara agreed to a one-year deal with the New York Islanders, the team announced on Saturday. It will be his 24th NHL season. Uh, he's 44 years old. He began his career with the Islanders in the 1997-98 season. He's coming back to the team that first gave him a chance in the NHL all the way back in 1997. He's doing so 24 years later at the highest level of hockey in the world. That is unbelievable. He spent last season with the Washington Capitals playing 55 games but only scored two goals and recorded eight assists. He's a seven-time All-Star, so he's an absolute legend in the NHL. He's been one of the best defenders in the NHL during his career, winning the Norris Trophy, which is awarded to the best defenseman in the NHL in the 2008-9 season with the Boston Bruins. And he was a huge part in helping the Bruins win the Stanley Cup in 2011, while he also helped the team reach the Stanley Cup Finals in 2013 and 2019. He's huge. I mean, he's a behemoth of a man. He's 6'9", 250. He's obviously very imposing. Um, he was plus five. His plus plus minus rating was plus five with the Capitals last season, and he's only finished in the red in plus minus only once in the past nineteen seasons. He plus he's plus my uh, he's plus three fifty four in that span. So the Islanders were one game away from the Stanley Cup last season, losing again yet again in Game Seven in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Tampa Bay uh, not the Rays excuse me the Lightning. So Tampa Bay has been very successful sports wise lately. And with that, we're transitioning to the NFL. The NFL has fined Cleveland Browns safety Ronnie Harrison Jr. $12,128, a very specific amount, I have to say, for shoving Kansas City Chiefs running backs coach Greg Lewis in Week 1, according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero. Pelissero reported that Lewis didn't receive a fine because league officials did not believe his actions rose to that level. Harrison was re- was ejected in the first quarter of Cleveland's ultimate 33-29 lo- loss to the Chiefs. So what happened was, I saw this live too, what happened was after an 11-yard reception by Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Harrison appeared to inadvertently step on the Chiefs running back. Lewis pushed him away and he responded by shoving Lewis around the neck area. So it all started with what seemed to be an incident, you know, something that wasn't intentional, but things escalated very quickly. While some form of discipline was inevitable for Harrison, Brown Center J.C. Treader, who's also the NFL Players Players Association president, thought Lewis's actions warranted a punishment as well. Quote, I expect that the coach gets held to the same standard, if not a higher standard, than Ronnie. Being the first one in there and being a coach, putting his, putting his hands on an opposing player, I don't think there's there's any room for that in this league. And I agree. I mean, I think if you impose and punish someone in the situation on one side of the coin, you have to do so on the other side. I don't necessarily agree that the coach has, has to have a harsher punishment than the player. You can make the argument that the player is in the heat of the moment. The coach is more clear-headed. He's on the sideline. He's thinking. He's not playing. You know, he's not the one that's like really pissed like the player might be. You can make all those arguments. But in my opinion, it comes down to this. Eye for an eye. 
if you punish the player, you have to do the exact same thing to the coach. Um, the player didn't do anything egregious that the coach didn't do. They, they were both, you know, wrong in my opinion. This situation could have easily been avoided. And you could make a case for, you know, one of them being more wrong than the other. You can make a genuine case for both sides of this. Uh, but like I said, I think if you punish one, you have to punish the other the same way. But that's just my opinion. Now let's transition to some college football. The number three team in the country, the Oklahoma Sooners, did not have their typical explosive offense Saturday, but it did, it was enough to remain undefeated with a 23-16 win over Nebraska at Memorial Stadium. After the Sooners, who are now 3-0 on the year, held just a 7-3 lead at halftime, very un uncharacteristic for their explosive offense. Spencer Rattler boosted his team against his former Big 12 rival. Rattler finished with 214 passing yards and 35 rushing yards and accounted for two total touchdowns. The defense and special teams also came up huge, blocking an extra point that helped change momentum. Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez had a passing and rushing touchdown, but the Cornhuskers' upset bid fell short. There, were two, there was two missed field goals by Connor Culp, plus eight penalties. That ultimately held Nebraska back, who fall to 2-2 two and two on the season. So Martinez did his part, but it was not enough for Nebraska. Oklahoma stays undefeated, but if they play like this, they are not you know, one of the top teams in the country, in my opinion. More college football. Number 10 Penn State defeated number 22 Auburn 28-20 in a thrilling and very dramatic game that went, that went down to the final play from Beaver Stadium in State College, Pennsylvania on Saturday. The two teams put on a show in front of the sellout whiteout crowd, which had Beaver Stadium rocking all evening. The atmosphere was absolutely insane. I would have loved to be... Uh, I would love to be a fly in that stadium or maybe even a fan. Penn State scored a touchdown in each quarter thanks to wideout Jahan Dotson, tight end Brenton, Brenton Strange, tight end Tyler Warren, and running back Noah Kane. Following the extra point after the Kane score, PS, PSU led 28-20 with about 10.48 left in the game. Auburn still had a shot though and later drove 73 yards in 11 plays over about 4 minutes in the 4th quarter. But a 4th and goal pass from the PSU 2-yard line fell incomplete with over 3 minutes left in the game and that was the game. PSU was forced to punt, though. You thought that was the game, but, you know, there was still a chance. They were forced to punt, giving Auburn one last chance. The, tri the Tigers drove all the way down to Penn State's 26-yard line with just with just one second remaining, but simply ran out of time. So it was a very thrilling finish. Penn or, excuse me, Auburn just ran out of time. Quarterback Bo Nix's last-ditch pass to Dem Demetrius Robertson was broken up, and the game was over. 22 players were on the field at all times on Saturday, but the game felt like one of those heavyweight boxing fights between two offensive superstars on occasion. On the Penn State side, Dotson caught 10 passes for 78 receiving yards and a touchdown. He also threw a 22-yard completion during a 91-yard touchdown drive in the second quarter. On the Auburn side, offensively, Auburn running back Tank, what a name, Tank Bigsby, rolled over the Nittany Lions with 23 carries for 102 rushing yards and two scores himself. Auburn knocked down some home field goals in the first and fourth quarter to buffer Biz Bigsby's touchdowns in the second and third. Penn State is now 3-0 on the win, just like Oklahoma, and Auburn falls to 2-1, but they still are a worthy team, in my opinion. Now let's transition to some baseball. Chicago White Sox pitcher Mike Wright Jr. was suspended three games for hitting Shohei Otani with a pitch in the ninth inning of Thursday's 9-3 loss to the Los Angeles Angels per Bob Nightingale of USA Today. He will appeal the suspension. Wright was ejected from the game after plunking Otani with nobody on base and two outs in the ninth inning. White Sox manager Tony LaRosa was also ejected after arguing with crew chief Bill Welk. LaRosa was reportedly suspended one game. That dude is ageless. He's He's been in the MLB, whether as a player or a manager, since the fucking league started. He's been around forever. He's retired multiple times. He just won't leave. It's crazy. Uh, La Rosa believed Welk thought Wright was retaliating after three White Sox hitters, Juan Moncada, Luis Robert, and Jose Abreu, were all hit by Angels pitchers on Tuesday. Quote, 
It wasn't intentional. Welk read it wrong. It wasn't consistent with number one, the way he treated the three hit by pitches. Secondly, where was our retaliation? It looks bad to our pitcher and our team. It is disappointing. Angels Joe, uh, Angels manager Joe Madden disagreed, though, saying, quote, it was, retali it was retali retaliatory. We knew that. Right? He's 31 years old. He's had a decent season going 0-1 in nine appearances with a 3.38 ERA, a 1.28 whip. That's walks and hits per innings pitched and seven strikeouts in just over 13 innings of ball. He spent the 2020 season playing for the NC Dinos in the Korea Baseball Organization and largely pitched in AAA this year. The White Sox called him up in mid-August and, you know, he's been serviceable in the major leagues. As for Otani, though, it's a whole different story. He's the runaway favorite to win the American League MVP. He's lived up to all the hype after, you know, struggling with some injuries in his first couple of years in the MLB. I mean, he's one of the game's biggest superstars, especially because he's Japanese. He, it's insane. He's hitting 256 with 44 home runs, 94 RBIs, 92 runs scored, and a 90, 953 OPS, while also going 9-2 on the mound with a 3.36 ERA, 1.2 whip, and 136 strikeouts in 115.1 innings. There is simply nobody in baseball like him. He is as close to a modern-day Babe Ruth as we will get and probably will ever get. It is simply amazing to watch, and I'm truly grateful to be able to watch Shohei Otani play in his prime, you know, just live. It's, it's amazing. Now switching here to some boxing. Legendary boxer Manny Pacquiao announced Sunday he's accepted, he's accepted the PDP Laban Party nomination for president in the Philippines' 2022 presidential election. Quote, I am a fighter and I will always be a fighter inside and outside the ring, Pacquiao said in his acceptance speech according to the Associated Press. In the name of our countrymen who have long been desiring for the right change in government, I wholeheartedly, bravely, and humbly hope for your support. He's 42 years old. He's worked in politics since 2010 while continuing his boxing career, but obviously I highly doubt he will be able to keep boxing, uh, even though you know he is old and he probably would retire anyway, but I highly doubt he'll be able to keep boxing while being the president of the Philippines. He served as, the member of the, as a member of the country's House of Representatives from 2010 through 2016 before being elected to the Senate, where he worked for the past five years. In his last fight, he lost to Jordanis Ugas by, by unanimous decision in, <coughs> in August, and he hinted towards potential retirement in an Instagram post after the fight, saying, quote, I have come to this point in my career by the grace of God. It is he who gave me the strength to fight. I can look back and honestly say that I gave my best. <coughs> Excuse me. My family and you, the fans, have been with me all the way. I will not focus on the defeat, but instead count my blessings. God bless everyone. What an attitude that is. What a man he is. It's, it's awesome to see. Uh, the former eight-division world champion previously told Lance Pugmire of The Athletic he was not a fan of the dark side of politics, but he still felt the urge to help his people in the Philippines, saying, quote, I want the new generations to have that same dream I had in my heart. This is why I became a politician. God knows my heart. I don't like politics. I don't like corruption. I don't know how many times I've told my wife, Jinky, I regret entering politics, but I'm here and this is God's plan. So I will do my job and tend to my responsibility. He added, I can forgo politics, but not the opportunity to serve. So it's just, he, he's such an awesome person. Uh, Panfilo Laxon of the Partido Reforma, the Reform Party, is the only other confirmed presidential candidate so far ahead of the May 9th election. So I, I think Pacquiao is going to win. Uh, incumbent Rodrigo Duterte is ineligible for a second term based on the country's constitution, but he's seeking a vice presidential bid. If Pacquiao's boxing career has concluded, it has been a legendary one as he has compiled a record of 62-8-2 with 39 wins by way of knockout. He has high profile wins over the likes of Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, and Shane Mosley. And he famously fought Floyd Mayweather in one of boxing's most highly anticipated fights of all time in 2015. Mayweather won that fight by unanimous decision. He also faced off with Juan Manuel Marquez a whopping four times, going 2-1-1 one one in that rivalry. His pro career spanned 26 years, 
starting in 1995, obviously his last fight being a few weeks ago in 2021. He's an 8-division world champion. He's a legend, and he might be the next president of the Philippines. Switching gears back to the NFL, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are reportedly among the, quote, multiple NFL teams to contact free agent cornerback Richard Sherman as the league investigates his July arrest on five misdemeanor charges. Tom Pelissero of NFL.com reported Sunday that Sherman's two former teams, the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers, have also expressed interest in a potential reunion reunion with the five-time Pro Bowl um, winner or select, selection. Sherman pleaded not guilty to charges of drunken driving, criminal trespassing, resisting arrest, reckless endangerment of road workers, and malicious mischief during his initial court appearance in July, according to the Associated Press. The police report stated that the longtime NFL corner was drinking heavily and, quote, spoke of killing himself before leaving his Seattle area home, which led to his wife calling the police, according to the AP. Sherman was located after crashing his car in a construction zone and then tried trying to break into his in-laws house, where he was taken into custody with the use of a police dog. In February, the extreme, an extreme risk protection order, ERPO, was filed against Sherman, which barred him from possessing a firearm. An ERPO is a, quote, civil tool that is used to temporarily remove firearm access for people threatening themselves or others in the near future, according to KIRO7 News. After the July arrest, Sherman posted a statement on Twitter that included a pledge to, quote, get the help I need. Pelissero noted, reported the 33-year-old California native has been receiving magnetic therapy and meeting with a therapist since the incident. Since the NFL typically does not hand down its punishment until the legal process is complete, the veteran corner would likely be, quote, free to play immediately if signed by a team. Sherman played only five games for the 49ers in 2020 because of a calf strain. He recorded 18 total tackles, one interception, and one pass defended in those games. Uh, the Stanford product spent the past three seasons with the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers after, after spending the first five, or excuse me, the first seven with the rival Seattle Seahawks. In total, he's tallied 115 passes defended and 36 interceptions in 139 games he's you know he was widely considered the best cornerback in the nfl uh for quite some time uh so yeah with that i am going to let's see what we got we have a lot of football i'm just gonna go through week one of the nfl season uh right now we're gonna go through week one and week two because obviously the last episode i did was five weeks ago so i'm just gonna go through all the games uh like this let's see how we how we're doing on time we're 18 minutes in so we're doing great First off, the Kansas City Chiefs played the uh, Cleveland Browns at home in, in a playoff rematch. Baker Mayfield had a great game, 21 of 28, 321 yards, no touchdowns though, and one interception. Despite throwing no touchdowns, the Browns still put up 29 points. Nick Chubb had a great game, 83 rushing yards, 15 carries, 5.5 yards a carry with two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt also averaged 5.5 yards a carry, but he only had six carries and he had a rushing touchdown himself. So that's three touchdowns right there. Between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and then the kicker, who's their, who's the Browns kicker? Uh, Chase McLaughlin kicked for three points as well. For the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes had an insane game. Very, a very Patrick Mahomes-like game, 27 of 36, 337 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He also rushed for a touchdown. He had five carries for 18 yards, and he averaged 3.6 yards a carry, a rushing touchdown, like I said. And their kicker, Harrison Butker, had nine points. He was two for two with his longest kick being from 43 yards out. Next up, the Denver Broncos took care of the New York Giants on the road 27-13 to improve to 1-0. I did not realize that Teddy Bridgewater is on the Broncos, and he started when going 28-36 with 264 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. And Melvin Gordon, what a game he had. Ran all over the Giants with 11 carries for 101 yards, averaging over 9 yards a carry, and rushed for a touchdown as well. And you can't forget the kicker, Brandon McManus, went 2-for-2 two two with 9 points, and his longest kick being 36 yards. 
For the Giants, Daniel Jones had a solid game, 22 of 37, 267 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, but just not much offensively. He rushed for a touchdown as well. He had 27 yards over six carries. That's four and a half yards a carry. And their kicker, Graham Gano, had a whopping one point. Next up, in prime time, the Los Angeles Rams took care of the Chicago Bears, 34 to 14. They dominated the whole way. For the Bears, Andy Dalton did not have a good game. 27 of 38, 206 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Justin Fields went 2 for 2 with 10 yards. He is the future of the Chicago Bears, but Andy Dalton stands in the way for now. And and he had uh, one carry for 3 yards, and it was a touchdown for Justin Fields. So, so yeah, that that was big. And Cairo Santos had 2 points for the Bears as well. That's their kicker. For the Rams, Matthew Stafford was unbelievable. 20 of 26, 321 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. What a game. That's exactly why the Rams gave up an arm and a leg to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford. Daryl Henderson had a solid game as well. 16 carries, 70 yards, 4.4 yards a carry with a rushing touchdown. And Matt Gay had a great game, 2 of 2 with 10 points, kicking his with a 53-yard field goal being his longest. On, on the Monday night football matchup, I was at the Dodger game. They played the Diamondbacks and won. It was Clayton Kershaw's first start. Uh, since June, uh, the Raiders beat the Baltimore Ravens 33-27 to in a somewhat of an upset at home in overtime to improve to 1-0. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, I mean, not a very good game. 19-30, of 30, 235 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Not bad, but rushing-wise, he was sensational as always. 12 carries, 86 yards, over 7 yards a carry, no touchdowns. Their kicker, the long-tenure Justin Tucker, had 9 points with his, with his longest being from 47 yards out. For the Raiders, Derek Carr went off. 34 of 56, 56 passes for Derek Carr, 435 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Josh Jacobs only had 10 carries for 34 yards, averaging just under three and a half yards a carry, but he did have two rushing touchdowns. And their kicker, Daniel Carlson, what a game he had. Two of two, nine points with his longest being from 55 yards out. What a game for the Raiders. In a, in a very surprising game, the New Orleans Saints destroyed the Green Bay Packers 38-3 to at home. Aaron Rodgers had a terrible game. Probably the worst game I've ever seen him have live. He went 15 of 28 with 133 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. Absolutely horrible. Jordan Love came into the game and was a lot better. He went 5 of 7 with 68 yards. Um, No rushing touchdowns for the Packers. They only put up three points, and they were from the kicker, Mason Cassidy, from 39 yards out. For the Saints, Jameis Winston. What a... Yo. Only 20 passes thrown, but he went 14 of 20 with 148 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. Five passing touchdowns for Jameis Winston. He lo- he's looking like the future of the New Orleans Saints at the quarterback position. Alvin Kamara had a solid game, 20 carries, 83 yards, just over four yards a carry, no rushing touchdowns. And the kicker, Aldrick Rosas, with eight points, uh, one field goal coming from 44 yards out. Let's see, what do we what do we have next? Uh, that's all. That's preseason. Why am I looking at preseason? Uh, the first game of the season was the Thursday night matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. I really wanted to put money on the Cowboys at the spread. They were plus nine, and it I should have. I mean, the Buccaneers only won by two, 31 to 29. Dak Prescott had an amazing game, 42 of 58. 58 passes thrown for Dak Prescott, 403 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Ezekiel Elliott, not a very good game at all. He got stuffed, 11 carries, 33 yards, only three yards to carry, no touchdowns. Their kicker, Greg Zerline, who I will get into later today, Went 3 of 5. He missed two field goals, his longest being 48 yards, but he put up 11 points for the Cowboys. For the Buccaneers, Tom Brady was Tom Brady. 32 of 50, 379 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones II ran a little bit, didn't score any. Ryan Suckup had a one field goal for 36 yards and seven points total. 
Next up, the Seattle Seahawks took care of the Indianapolis Colts on the road, twenty-eight to sixteen. Russell Wilson had a very early had an early season Russell Wilson type game. He usually falls off near the end of the season. He went eighteen of twenty-three with two hundred fifty-four yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions for the Colts. Carson Wentz in his first start had a very solid game, 25 of 38, 251 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Jonathan Taylor had a game to forget. The Colts kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, went one for one with four points from only 21 yards out. The Philadelphia Eagles took care of the Atlanta Falcons on the road, 32 to 6. Jalen Hurts with an amazing game, 27 of 35, 264 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. Carson Wentz, the breakup between Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles is looking like you know, mutually beneficial. Kenneth Gainwell had nine carries, 37 yards, four, just over four yards to carry and a, t- and a rushing touchdown. Their kicker, Jake Elliott, had six points with his longest field goal being from 43 yards out. Matt Ryan, I mean, decent game, 21 of 35, 164 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, no touchdowns of any kind for the Falcons, no rushing touchdowns. Their kicker, Young Hoku, put up six points, the longest one being from 27 yards out, the field goal that is. Uh, in a game that surprised me, the Houston Texans beat the the Jacksonville Jaguars 37-21 to at home. I would think the Jaguars would take it with the number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, um, Urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence went 28-51, 332 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. A very welcome to the NFL moment for Trevor Lawrence. Carlos Hyde had a game to forget for the Jaguars. Kicking-wise, Josh Lambeau had three points, and he missed his only real field goal attempt. Tyrod Taylor, who I did not know is the Texans quarterback, went 21 of 33 with 291 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Mark Ingram Jr., who I also did not know was the Texans running back, had a decent game, 26 carries for 85 yards, just over almost three and a half yards a carry for a touchdown. And their kicker, what a game he had. Three of three with 13 points, and his longest kick being from 40 yards out. Great game for him. The Los Angeles Chargers started off the season with a W against the Washington football team on the road. Justin Herbert went 31-47 with 337 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Austin Eckler also rushed for a touchdown with 15 yards on 57, 15 carries on 57 yards, excuse me, averaging almost 4 yards a carry. Their kicker, Tristan Vizcaino, went 2-2 two of two with 8 points, his longest kick being from 33 yards out. For Washington, Taylor Heinke had a decent game, 11-15, of 15, 122 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. He came in for the injured Ryan Fitzmagic, I mean Fitztragic, I mean Fitzpatrick, who went 3-6 of six with 13 yards but went down with an injury. Antonio Gibson had a decent game, as did Taylor Heinke rushing. Their kicker, Dustin Hopkins, went 3-4 of four with 10 points, and his longest kick was from 48 yards out. Next up, the San Francisco 49ers almost blew a lead against the Detroit Lions. Jimmy Garoppolo went 17 of 25 with 314 yards and a touchdown, no picks. Trey Lance went one for one with five yards and a touchdown. Eli Mitchell uh, had 19 carries for 104 yards, averaging five and a half yards a carry, rushed for a touchdown as well. And their kicker, Robbie Good, I mean, one of the best, one of the best kickers in the league, did miss when he went two of three, but he put up 11 points for the Niners with the longest one being from 52 yards out. For the Lions, Jared Goff's first game at the helm. Traded for Matthew Stafford from the Rams, went 38 of 57. What a what a welcome for Jared Goff. You're going to throw 57 passes in your first start with 338 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Not bad at all. Goff is looking pretty promising with the Lions and their system. Jamal Williams had nine carries for 54 yards, averaging exactly six yards a carry with a touchdown. And their kicker, Austin Seibert, went one for two. He missed one, his longest being from 49 yards out, and he put up five points for the Lions. Next up, the Carolina Panthers with their new quarterback, Sam Darnold, took care of business against the New York Jets, who are 0-1. Darnold played his former team in his first game with his new team. Uh, Zach Wilson for the Jets went 20 of 37 with 258 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Not bad at all for the rookie. 
Tevin Coleman had a game to forget for the Jets. Their kicker, they had kicked no field goals, apparently, for the Panthers. Sam Darnold, a very solid game, 24 of 35, 279 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Their star rush, running back Christian McCaffrey had a decent game, 21 carries, 98 yards, averaging just under five yards a carry. And their kicker, Ryan Santoso, went two of two with the longest one being from 29 yards out, put up seven points for the Panthers. Next up, let's see what we got. The Miami Dolphins upset the New England Patriots 17-16 on the road. Tua Tagovailoa went 16-27 of with, with 202 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. So, solid game for him. Nothing notable rushing-wise for the Dolphins, you know, on the ground. Jason Sanders went 1-for-1, one one, put up 5 points for the Dolphins. 48 yards his, was his longest. Mac Jones, his highly anticipated Patriots debut from the University of Alabama, went 29-39 of 39 with 281 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Damon Harris had a solid game rushing. Their kicker, Nick Folk, went 3-for-3 three three, uh, with 10 points, his longest being from 42 yards out. Next up, the Arizona Cardinals routed the Tennessee Titans 38-13. to Kyler Murray went 21 of 32 with 289 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. Their kicker, Matt Prater, went one for two. He missed one, put up eight points with the longest being from 34 yards out. For the Titans, Ryan Tannehill had a game to forget. 21 of 35, 212 yards, a touchdown, and interception. Matthias Farley also had one. He went one for one with six yards. Uh, Derrick Henry, you know, didn't didn't uh, really do much. 17 carries, 58 yards, three and a half yards a carry. Got pretty shut down. Their kicker, you know, to put up one point. He kicked one field goal and missed it. Uh, the, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it here. You know, almost 30 minutes, kind of getting. You know what? Let me let me finish this slate of football, and I'll cover week two on the next episode. So next up, the Cincinnati Bengals shocked the Minnesota Vikings 27 to 24 at home in overtime. Uh, for the Vikings, Kirk Cousins went 36 to 49 with 351 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Justin Jefferson went one for one with 11 yards. Um, excuse me, hopefully you didn't hear that. Uh, Greg Joseph for the Vikings went one for one with a 53-yard field goal and put up six points, but it wasn't enough as Joe Burrow, bouncing back from a torn ACL, great to see, you love to see it, went 20 of 27 with 261 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Joe Mixon had a, had a solid game, 29 yards, 29 carries, excuse me, 127 yards, 4.4 yards a carry, and a touchdown. And their kicker, Evan McPherson, went two for two with nine points, with his longest being from 53 yards out. And lastly, the Pittsburgh Steelers upset the Buffalo Bills 23-16 on the road. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, you know, decent game, 18-32, of 32, 188 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Nothing to write home about on the ground for the Steelers, but their kicker, what a game he had, 3 of 3, 11 points, and the longest being from 45 yards out for the Bills. Josh Allen, not, not a bad game, 30-51, of 51, 270 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Nothing to write home about on the ground, but Devin Singletary did have a solid game. Very solid game. 11 carries, 72 yards, 6.5 yards a carry. And their kicker, Tyler Bass, went 3 of 3 with 10 points, the longest being from 42 yards out. But it's not enough to beat the Steelers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all we have for episode number 346 of the one and only Sean Sports Stop podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you guys on the next one.